Hey, uh, if you're new here, it's important you know that we've been preaching through the, the book of Ephesians all, uh, all fall, and so we're um, picking up with that uh, this morning. But before we do, let's pray, all right? Father, thank you that you receive our worship uh, from guitars and suitcases and notes and whatever we have. And uh, so, Lord, I pray, I pray that we would play our drum for you this morning, that, um, Lord, you would uh, inhabit our worship and that, Lord God, you would maybe even preach through me. Lord, help us to think things we haven't thought. Help us to dream dreams we've never dreamed. Help us to want things that we've never wanted before. Help us to believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 21. This is what we looked at last week. For this reason, for for this favor, quite literally, My knees, I I bow my knees before the Father. For this favor, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, your inner man, toward the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Check out verse 20. This is, this is like how King James, New King James kind of translates it, something like this. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all, all we ask, um, that, that, that word is also translated desire or want. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we desire, want, all we ask, more than all we, we think or also imagine, to him be glory. He is able. I hope you know that he is able. Years ago, when I was in college, I went to this prayer meeting and I saw and I felt one of my legs grow. I mean, this is freaky weird. I know people fake that stuff, but I felt it. I have a friend that was healed of HIV. We have the, we have the doctor's lab report. Years ago, I was literally pinned to a floor by the power of the Holy Spirit. Scores and scores of times, I've seen demons manifest and then flee at the name of Jesus. Jesus calls all of those things signs, and and I really, really hope that you know God is able. And so I hope that you would pray that he would pour out his spirit with signs and wonders upon our body, our our church, he's able, he's able, he's able to heal you, he's able to fix your finances, he's able to give you what you want. It's Christmas time, and so, um, what do you want? <laughs> I think uh, probably the greatest thing I ever got for, for Christmas was my microscope. I remember thinking as a kid, if, if I only had a microscope. And then on Christmas morning, I got one. 
it was awesome. I mean, I looked at like bug antennas for, for weeks and weeks. Just look at bug it. They're so amazing. And, and then I stopped. And I began thinking, you know, if only I had a telescope, that would be awesome. And then that Christmas, Christmas morning, I got a telescope, and it was awesome. I remember spending weeks and weeks looking at craters on the moon, and then, then I stopped. And I thought, you know, if only I had an electric race car set, oh, that would be it. That would be awesome. And then the Christmas came, and I got an electric race car set, and it was awesome. It was awesome. I remember hours and hours up in my room just doing this. <laughs> Until awesome literally became a pain in the neck. I remember one year, Elizabeth, my daughter, when she, she was about three, we, she saw the buffalo up at the Genesee exit on I-70, and she wanted one. And on the way home, she just like threw an absolute fit when we wouldn't bring one home, screaming, crying, kicking in her, in her car seat. I mean, can you imagine a three-year-old and a buffalo in the backyard? That would be hell. It's a good thing God is able to give us not just what we want, but more than what we want, because we really don't know what we want. And maybe we want hell. Jesus said, um, ask and you shall receive. You know, at times I've really, really worried that that's not true. But maybe I ought to be uh, a little more worried that that's all too true. C.S. Lewis wrote, all get what they want. They don't always like it. All get what they want, but not all want what they get. Lewis wrote this book called The Great Divorce. I think it's probably the best uh, description of hell, that is Hades, that, that, I've ever, that I've ever read. In The Great Divorce, everybody gets what they want. Great big mansions filled with gold where each person sits entirely alone. There was this great Twilight Zone episode about some thieves who robbed a train full of gold on its way to Fort Knox. They took the gold and they um, drove out in this truck out into Death Valley into a cave where a mad scientist had prepared these suspended animation chambers so that they could stash the gold and then go to sleep for like 100 years or whatever and then wake up after all their enemies were dead. And so they did. When they woke up, though, they began to fight over the gold until only two remained. Then walking to civilization, one kills the other one for his gold and just a, a drink of water. By the time he reaches a road, he's just dying of thirst, and this traveler, this future traveler, comes along and finds him. You're gonna have it. You're gonna have it. Drive me to town. If you give me water, I'll give it to you. exchange for a lift into town. Gold? Now what in the world would he be doing with this gold? 
I don't know. It's probably off his rocker. Can you imagine that? He offered this to me as if it was really worth something. You know, wasn't it worth something once, George? I mean, didn't people use gold for money? Sure, about a hundred years or so ago, before they found a way of manufacturing it. Wow. He wanted the gold, and he got the gold. But in the future, they had figured out how to manufacture gold. I mean, I, I bet the streets were just like paved with gold. Well, that means that gold was about as valuable as asphalt. They walk on it. So anyway, the guy got his wish. He, he wished the people away, wished his enemies away, wished the people away and got the gold. When I was a boy, on several occasions, I think I wished my sisters away. <laughs> I wished my enemies away, in, in other words. My two little sisters didn't respect me or my stuff. So I wish that they'd just leave me alone with my stuff. You know, guy stuff, telescopes, microscopes, fossils, stuff like that. For some reason, my father didn't see things the way I saw things. So I remember on one particularly bad day, he sat me down and he said, Peter, listen to me. Peter, it's important that you learn to be nice to girls. Because someday, um, you might marry a girl. And Peter, if you marry a girl, you'll get a great reward. He didn't specify the reward. Just said it'd be great, a reward. So uh, I pictured microscopes. <laughs> Telescopes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Race car sets. Uh, money. You know, you know, gold. I pictured gold. We, 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 want, we, we all want rewards. We want rewards when we're asked to do what we don't want to do. Jesus said this. He said, love your enemies and great will be your reward. Can you imagine that reward? He talked about heavenly rewards. Can you imagine uh, the rewards? Heaven, I bet the streets are like paved with gold. Well, anyway, Paul writes this. Exceedingly, abundantly, more than all we ask or think, all we desire or imagine. Just imagine. How do you imagine more than you imagine? I'm not, not exactly sure, but it seems that Paul wants us to try. Ephesians 3.19, did you hear this verse? He writes, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. God, can you even imagine that? This is from the, one of those websites, you know, where they compare the relative size of things. Okay, you can go to this website and see this. So take a look at this. That's, that's you, a human, 
about two meters tall, okay? And then we zoom out, past the dinosaurs, past redwood trees, um, past the state, I think California's coming up here, past, there's California, okay? Then the earth, you see the earth and the planets, the sun, and then the star, bigger stars, past some really, really, really big stars. And we're zooming out into a place where we have to measure time, space, different. That was a light year, a light year. We just passed a light year. There's a, the Milky Way galaxy is coming up on the left. See the Milky Way galaxy, all right? We're zooming out, zooming out, zooming out through the universe until there's the observable universe, the estimated size of the universe, 10 to like the 27 meters. That's a one with 27 zeros after it, something like 150, 160 billion light years across. And God spoke it all into existence with a word. And Paul asked that the fullness of God might dwell in us. I mean, it's a little hard to imagine, don't you, don't you think? How we could make space for all the fullness of God. There's, there's just not enough space. But just imagine if you really could be filled with all the fullness of God. Imagine the power, power to create a universe. You could create your own universe. Some people try, some people think they, they have, they don't seem very happy, they're usually like third world dictators or locked away in insane asylums or, or something, but just imagine, imagine if you were filled with, with all the fullness of God. What power and what ability, I mean you could, you could feed the poor, you could eradicate disease and then go on vacation in your own private island. Imagine what you could do. Imagine what you, what you would do. And isn't that exactly what we want? To be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you think God is able, getting back to the verse we read before, able to fill you with all the fullness of God? What would a human being filled with all the fullness of God, what would that human being look like? It's hard to imagine. And yet Paul claims that we don't have to imagine because we already know. Colossians chapter two, verse nine, in Christ, all the fullness of deity, the Godhead, dwells bodily. What would a man look like filled with all the fullness of God? Something, something like that. Do you still want to be filled with all the fullness of God? Mm, maybe not. I mean, we'd like to do what God could do, but not what God would do. And, and think about that. What God would do is exactly what is being done. I mean, if we really believed that, we wouldn't be nervous, would we? We wouldn't be afraid. We'd like go to sleep on boats in the midst of storms and stuff. Well, anyway, we'd like to do what God could do and sometimes does do. I mean, we'd like to turn water into wine. That would be, that would be way cool, wouldn't that? We'd like to get money out of the mouths of fish, like Jesus did, remember, to pay his pack, the taxes or whatever. That was incredible. 
I mean, we'd like to walk on water. We'd like to cure diseases. We'd like to do signs. We'd like to do what God could do, but not what he would do, what he wills to do. What he wills, we can't even imagine wanting to will what he wills to do. God wills and wants to die for you. You know, no one took Jesus' life from him. He makes that really clear. He gave it. He said, no one takes my life from me. I I lay it down of my own accord. And you see, he, he wanted to lay it down. And God was in Christ giving his life to you. And God only does what God wants to do, what God wills to do. Jesus said, love your enemies and be like your father in heaven. That means God loves his enemies. You see, no one constrains God to love his enemies. God doesn't get up in the morning and say to himself, dang, I really should love my enemies today. I really should be more godly today. See, God is absolutely free. He wants to love his enemies. But make no mistake, the cross hurt. It it cost him. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, yet he wanted to endure the pain for you. I think he actually wanted to suffer for you. And it was suffering. Have have you ever loved someone so much that you actually wanted to suffer for them? In the garden, Jesus prayed this. Father, if there be another way, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's suffering. But think about that statement. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. How could Jesus have a will contrary to God's will? Jesus, who said he only did what he saw his fathers doing. How did he have a will contrary to God's uh, will? I, I suspect, I suspect that in the garden and hanging on the tree, he bore our will. He subjected our will, he was bearing our will, he subjected our will to God's will, and that was his will. Love, poured out grace. I can't really even begin to explain it, but but I, I think maybe this is true. Julian of Norwich says that she heard Jesus say this to her. The Lord said to her, to have ever suffered the passion for you is for me a great joy, a bliss, and an endless delight. We can barely imagine what God could do, his, his, his power, but what God would do, his will, well, that's just beyond our ability to even think. God created the world. That was his will, created with his word. God created the world and subjected it to futility and allowed you to sin because he wanted to give himself away on a tree called a cross in a garden. He wanted to give himself and all things to you. And it makes him happy. You know, it's not recorded in the Gospels, but Acts chapter 20. Paul says it to the Ephesian elders as he's about to set sail for Jerusalem where he knows that he's gonna be tortured and imprisoned and, uh, and they'll never see him again. As they're hanging on to Paul, weeping and crying, um, he, he says this beatitude. It sums up all the other beatitudes. He says, he says this, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed 
makarios. The word means happy, to feel happy. It is more blessed, it is more happy to give than receive. In the garden, we took. On the cross, God gave. So we would know the good. That it's more blessed to give than receive. Outside of Jesus, I don't know one person that actually fully, sincerely believes that. I mean, if I really believed it's more happy to give than receive, wouldn't I be as poor as the poorest person I know? I mean, I might have a car and some sort of house with a shower and a change of clothes because I would want a job in order to make some money so that I could give it away and be happy. If I won the lottery, I would consider myself profoundly blessed, not because I had received $100 million, but because now I was able to give away $100 million and be happy. People might look and call me poor, but I wouldn't consider myself poor. I'd consider myself exceedingly, abundantly rich. For Jesus said, blessed, happy are, are you poor, for yours is, is the kingdom of heaven. That's Luke 6. Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Of them is the kingdom of heaven. See, heaven may be paved with gold, but it consists of people that are poor in spirit and insanely happy. Is more blessed, more happy to give than receive. Now, in fear, I think many of you probably just heard this. You heard me saying, um, uh, you should give more than you receive. But I didn't say that. Jesus didn't, didn't say that. But if you feel that you should give more than you receive, if you feel that you should, it's because you don't believe it's more blessed to give than receive. And that's my point. It's more than you can even want to believe. Jesus didn't say should, we add should, because we can't imagine that he meant what he said. It's more blessed to give than receive. See, Jesus said some unimaginable things. John four thirty four. I think this is one of them. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His work includes all creation and hanging on a cross where he cries, it is accomplished. And his will, well, Jesus told us God's will. Uh, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as, as yourself, God's will. And Jesus says, my food. <laughs> See what he's saying? He's saying, guys, you know, you know when you, when, when you go to Red Robin and uh, you, you order one of those Royal Red Robin cheeseburgers with the fried egg and the bacon and the dripping cheddar cheese and oh man, you know how you just love to chomp down on that baby? It's like that. It's like that for me when I touch lepers. You see, it's like that for me when I give my cloak to a Roman, an enemy. It's like that when I forgive sins. It's like that. 
when I love my enemies. It's like that. And as far as we know, Jesus never said, you should love the Lord your God. Did you know that? And as far as we know, he never said, you should love your neighbor. He said, you will love the Lord your God, and you will love your neighbor. In other words, you will will the will of God. See, that's not a threat. That's not a bribe. If you do this, you get something else. That's a promise. It's also a command, but it's a command like this is a command. Let there be light, and there was light. Let the dry land appear, and the land appeared. Let it be, and, and it was. Jesus is the word of God through whom God creates all things, all creation. Last week we said, you are not what you do, do. You're not what you do, do. Maybe God is not what he does do, which is all space, all time, all power, all creation. Colossians 2.9, Paul writes this, in Christ the fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of God dwells bodily. But he also wrote this, Philippians 2.7. He writes, he emptied himself. That means he was like emptied in full all at the same time. Jesus is like God emptied of all he does in order to reveal who he is and God is love. To be filled with all the fullness of God is to be filled with all the fullness of love. For God is love. And love spoke space into existence. Love doesn't take up space. Love makes space for others. Love makes space, then fills space, not excluding others, but fully filling others. Like music fills a vast dance hall. You don't leave when the music fills the hall. You don't leave when the music begins to play. When the music begins to play, that's the reason that that you stay. And on the cross, the music began to play. At Pentecost, it starts to fill the hall. We are that hall. We can't comprehend the music, but we will be comprehended by the music and begin to dance to the tune of God's will, to the tune of God's desire, to the tune of his word. More than we can want is a new wanter. More than we can think is a new thinker. More than we can desire is new desires. More than we can imagine is a new imagination. And now I got kind of wordy with all of that, so uh, let me sum up what we've just said, okay, right here. What we've said, number one, God is able to give us more than we can want or even imagine, and that's good, because number two, we don't want and can't even imagine what God wants, what he desires, and now the gospel. Number three, God is giving us his desires his wants, his will, his word. He's able. God is love, and his will is love, and he loves in absolute freedom, absolute freedom. In other words, for God, love is not a law. Nobody is making God love you. Uh, For God, love is not a law. God loves you because he loves loving you. In other words, God really, really, really likes you, and there's not one damn thing you can do to stop him. He loves you, and love is its own reward. 
Now, Scripture does say this, that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. And so that kind of sounds like a reward. So what joy is set before him? I mean, what does Jesus have after he dies on the cross that somehow he didn't have before he died on the cross? Yeah, you, Nick, Jim, he has you, his bride, he has his people filled with himself. You know, I couldn't desire or even imagine the reward my father was talking about when I was six. So I imagined microscopes, telescopes, race car sets. I imagined gold and streets of gold. I, I tried to be nice to girls because I trusted my father that I, I would get this great Reward, but, but, but something happened over the next 13 years. Something happened that I did not even imagine or could have imagined happened. It, it happened, and it, and it might not have happened if I hadn't tolerated girls out of obedience to my father to get some reward, and this is what happened. I met a girl, and I wanted the girl. See, I had a new wonder. I desired a girl for the girl. And I used all of my gold to get the girl. I didn't use the girl to get some gold as if gold was a reward for the girl. I dropped to my knees and offered her all my gold, all my gold, and, and, and it hurt. I mean, it, it really hurt to pay for all of that gold, and I actually wanted it to hurt to pay for the gold. I didn't even care about the ring except for that it cost me all my gold. I mean, I was just a jeweler's dream. I remember talking to Harry the jeweler and saying, look, the ring doesn't really matter. I just gotta spend all I got, and it's gonna hurt. So I wouldn't be happy unless I suffered. Almost, almost as if it was actually better, more happy to give than receive. Well, I didn't use the girl to get the gold. I used all my gold, all my student loan money, I used all my gold to get the girl. And on May 28th, 1983, I received my reward. A reward I couldn't have even imagined when I was six, I, I received my reward, and, and not once, not, and this is truth, okay, this is absolute truth, not once all night long did I even think of a microscope, <laughs> or a telescope, or a race car set, or even gold, even, even gold. I considered it all scubula, rubbish, doo-doo, for the surpassing worth of knowing a girl. Amazing. And that's just a picture of a much greater picture. In the Revelation, John sees the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, adorned as a bride for her groom. Her streets are paved with gold, but she is constructed of people. One day, one day, you see, with our former enemies, we will dance on streets of gold and not even notice the gold. Scripture says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. See, maybe that's a gift if our passions are hell. You, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. I, I used to think that maybe passion was the problem, but Jesus had passion. So the problem is my passion, my sinful passion. 
My sinful passion is a passion for hell, but, but Jesus had passion. In fact, on the night of his passion, he literally said to his disciples, this is a literal translation, in lust I have lusted to eat this meal with you. This meal, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. One day, his passion will be our passion. One day, his desire will be our desire. What would that be like? if his will was actually our will, if his desire was actually our desire. Well, number one, we'd fulfill the whole law. I, I mean, just, just imagine. Imagine if on my honeymoon night, my 22-year-old beautiful bride came out in a negligee, stood in the doorway and said, we got work to do, and I'm laying down the law. Right now, you will love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Even if it hurts, you will love me. I'd say, thanks. <laughs> but you know, I don't even know that we need a law. <laughs> I mean, we'll just fulfill it. We'll fulfill the law. And number two, our work would be play. What's play? Play is work that is its own reward. Number three, the law would be life. And we did produce life, but the law would literally be life. John 12, 50, the Father's commandment is eternal life. What a father you have. He commands eternal life. Number four, if God's will were our will, we'd be entirely free. You see, freedom is not getting what you want. Freedom is wanting what God gives. And your father is giving you Jesus and all things with him. Jesus, from the bosom of the Father, the heart of God. And number five, we wouldn't compete to be good. I mean, that would be like competing at enjoying a, a, a Royal Red Robin cheeseburger. I mean, we'd just be good because we wanted to be good, because we loved the good. And number six, we'd have compassion for sinners who are not good. See, I don't think we normally have compassion for sinners. I think Christians are usually jealous of sinners because they love to sin. But we'd have actual compassion for sinners. And number seven, in this world, yeah, we might, well, maybe even probably we'd get ourselves crucified. And yet for eternity, we'd know it as just the greatest joy, a bliss, an endless delight. If God's will were our will, it would be like heaven, eternal reward. Well, Jesus said heaven is at hand, and John said the new Jerusalem is coming down, so maybe somehow it's now, starting to happen now, but how does God's will become our will? Because we can't just will it, right? It's more than we will. Well, once upon a time, the fullness of God dwelt in a man's body, and that man willed only what God willed, and his name is Jesus. Can you think of another time or another instance where the, the, the fullness of God dwelt in a human body. And I'm talking the fullness of God. Well, if the fullness of God was in Jesus, think the transitive, oh no, this is like, think geometrically. If the fullness of God was in Jesus, and Jesus was in Mary, his mother, well then the fullness of God was in Mary. You know, they asked Jesus about his mother and he said, whoever does the will of my father 
is my mother. Almost like we could like become pregnant with the will of God. Actually giving birth to the will of God, incarnating the, the, the will of God. So how does God's will become our will? How does God's desire become our desire? Well, we're kind of out of time. So I'll try to answer with a word, and this is the word, Christmas. <laughs> and you see, Christmas is a miracle. That's why Paul is praying. That's why he's praying for it, because he cannot make it happen. We can't make it happen. We can't will it to happen, but we can wait for it to happen. And we can long for it to happen. Advent. You know, my dad was not capable of making me love a girl. And listen closely, I was not capable of making me love a girl. But my dad did say this, Peter, be nice to girls. Tolerate girls. Pay attention to girls. I can't make you love God. You can't make you love God. But I can say this. Be nice to babies. <laughs> Pay attention to babies. People that can't pay you back, people that can't reward you, uh, weak, um, good for nothing. I mean, you, you're gonna get something from this, babies. Pay attention to babies. And pay attention to peasant girls and poor people, disenfranchised people. Pay attention to people on the other side of the dividing wall of hostility. Pay attention to the last of these and the least of these. Pay attention to mangers. You know, dirty, stinky, covered in scuba mangers. Pay attention to them. And pay attention to the empty places in your own flesh. Don't listen to the principles and powers, the world rulers of this present darkness. Because Christmas happens in the very last place that they would tell you to look. You know, hundreds of thousands were in Jerusalem and Bethlehem that, that week for the Roman census. They've been told to go there, going where the principalities and powers told them, and yet thousands, thousands must have walked by that, that manger that night. They walked past a baby filled with all the fullness of God. For it was exceedingly abundantly more than all they could ask or imagine. But maybe, maybe you're a shepherd. And you've heard the angels sing. You see, it happens in a place with which you're entirely familiar and so would never expect. Christmas happens in a manger. That's a food trough, shepherd. It happens in a manger and the inside of this manger is bigger than the entire outside. Maybe you're a wise man, one of, one of the kings, and you've followed a star. It happens in a place with which you're not familiar and so would never expect it. Not Herod's palace in Jerusalem, but the other side of the dividing wall of hostility. Christmas happens in Bethlehem. And so, wise man, take your gold, climb over the wall, and drop to your knees at the foot of that manger. Or maybe you're Joseph, and, and you've had a dream. You know, it was a... It was a thing of incredible shame in that day to betroth to a girl that was pregnant with a child that was not their, your own. But 
But Joseph, listen, Christmas happens in your place of shame. Happens there, Joseph. So pay attention to your shame and uh, your bride in anguish to deliver. Maybe you're Mary, and you see, really, you, you are Mary, and Christmas happens inside of you. Love makes a space in you, an empty place in you, a, a question, a longing, maybe a pain or, or an, an ache, a sorrow, a, a space, like a, like a womb. Love makes a space and then fills that space. You know, when a mother holds a newborn baby, she forgets all the pain for the joy and I bet she experiences new desires. You know, when I held my newborn baby, Jonathan, my firstborn, I was surprised because I began to want something that I had never wanted, a baby. I wanted this baby. What do you want for Christmas? Don't follow your old desires. Follow your father's word and wait for new desires. Go to the last and the least. Kiss people on the other side of the wall. Look for treasure in mangers covered in scubala. Because love is born in places like that. Love is born in places like Newtown, Connecticut. Love is born in anguish, places of confusion, dirt, and pain. But love is exceedingly abundantly more than all you could ever ask or think. He who loves is born of God and knows God. God is love. And now I need to confess something to you. My father, Dan Ernest Hyatt, never actually said those particular words to me. Be nice, Peter, to girls, and one day you'll get a great reward. But my Father in heaven actually did say this to me. Love your enemies, Peter, and great will be your reward. Love your enemies, and great will be your reward. You know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed by all of us, on the night that we had made our, all of our, we had all become enemies of God, hostile to God, on the night that we had made ourselves enemies of God, Jesus took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. We were his enemies. And now... We are his reward, his bride, filled with himself. You know, when the angel came to Mary, it was exceedingly abundantly more than all she could imagine. I mean, just, uh, and so the, you remember what the angel said to her? The angel inish, finished his little speech by saying this, um, uh, Mary, 
with God, nothing will be impossible. And then do you remember what Mary said? May it be done to me according to thy word. May it be done to me according to thy will. Could you say that? Well, why don't you just try it after me, okay? May it be done unto me according to thy word. Good. Now come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and ingest the love of God, the will of God, the word of God, Jesus the Christ. Amen. We are free indeed. Amen. So, uh, do you feel free? Yeah, kind of, right? We see you are free. And if you don't feel free, you're believing a lie. And we all believe lies. And this morning may have been a little bit hard for you because I was talking about desire. And so some of you are still hearing you should, um, you, sh you should uh, like giving more than receiving. And in your heart you're going, but I don't. I think the biblical definition of that is greed. You're greedy. And scripture says no greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. And when we read that, we totally freak out. Because we go, oh crap, I'm not inheriting the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, yes you are. So what's the logical conclusion to that little mathematical problem? One day you will not be greedy. I'm gonna give you a new heart. And some of you struggle with sexual desires and so the illustrations bothered you. And you're like, God, I'm trying to want the right things and I try to want the right things. My sexual desires are all messed up according to scripture too. Uh, and scripture says no person with a broken sexual desire and it uses words that people debate a bunch will inherit the kingdom of God. And we panic, we think, oh crap, I'm not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, yes you are, I paid for your sins. And what's the logical conclusion of that little scenario? I'm gonna give you a new heart, a new heart. And already you're beginning to feel a new heart. Already you're beginning to love people and, and it's probably not when you're thinking about it, it just happens. Well that's Jesus rising up in you. That's the freedom of God rising up in you. And you see I think this is the thing that we have the hardest time believing that we really don't believe. This is why we hang on to doctrines of eternal torment and, and say God can't save certain people and stuff like that is that we don't believe God is the creator of our hearts. Scripture says Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. He's giving you himself, faith, hope, and love. And so believe the gospel and be free, be free. You might get yourself crucified, okay? Don't get me wrong about that. You might get yourself crucified, but you know who is the freest person on the planet Earth on Good Friday? Long about, I was, scholars debate 30 or 33 AD, you know who that was? It was the guy nailed to the cross. He was free. And one day we'll all be free. And so believe the gospel and live. In Jesus' name, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Amen.